On the other side of everything I can see forever, the side not so much. Welcome to The Other Everything, The Downside. I don't want to talk about this. I really don't, but it exists. The downside is a place, and from it a mentality, but it is a place. Is it in the space-time continuum? I don't think so. Does it influence the space-time continuum? It most certainly involves us, body, mind, soul, and spirit. If we see death as finality, we miss what lies beneath the six feet under. There are two places beyond the grave. The first we want, the second we don't. But both exist, whether we like it or not, whether we want them or not, whether we believe them or not, they exist. In our present day experience, we get a smell of them. But for both, the smell is not the entering in. It is like the fear of the thing and not the thing itself, or the anticipating gladness of an encounter, but not the encounter itself. Evil is a presence, or is it an absence? The presence of selfishness, wrongness, greed, the absence of true love, of goodness, of generosity, of grace. It is palpable and often quite personal. Evil is not the shudder, nor is it the fear. Evil is that which gives rise to the shaking, disconcertedness, and disquiet. Evil kills. Its unintended trajectory for itself is toward the second death, as is those that follow it. The finality of death is physical. The finality of the second death is final, as in certain finality. It is not the cessation of existence. Far from it, its end is the inevitable and great unending. The state from which there is no turning back. Its final resting place is the place of unrest, of no rest. It is the place of separation, of isolation that never ends. This place is the place of the never-ending end. There is no return to what is good. This place is the place of the absence of good, which at its very core is the absence of God. Dark Whisperer, you have lived in broken glass and words that sting like nettles, but linger like forever. You have been paying prices for everything ever since you lost that child's twinkle. You have waited knee-deep in regret and couldn't get out of even though you tried with all your feeble might. You have aged centuries in just a season. Your gray hair is turning white, and the bags beneath your sinking eyes could hold gallons of tainted tears. Self-pity or true remorse? Shame is relentless and more complex than you could ever have imagined. Years are not lost here, life is. Your graveyard is an open wound that will not heal, and you have fallen and you cannot get up. Satan is a dark whisperer who is more than happy to remind you of what you cannot forget. To not admit is to be the fool. To admit and still remain in the prison of shame is father to the fool. I wish I could go back. I cannot. In the downside, there is no up. 
If you read the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, you will find that no one spoke more of this place than Jesus. No one. He didn't call it the downside, I do. He called it hell. He described it in terms that are incomparable. There is nothing like it. It is the place of the forever consequence of thinking, saying, and doing wrong. It is the place of the forever consequence of not thinking, saying, and doing right. It is the place of irremediable isolation from others and from God. And here are just a few words he used to describe it. Punishment, weeping, outside, darkness, suffering, longing for relief and not comforted. Taking our place. The author of our story has written himself into the plot. This is a reference to an idea by C.S. Lewis. The thing is, we cannot speak of hell and punishment without saying that this is precisely what he came to experience for us so that we would not have to. For this is why I came, to seek and save that which was lost. The words of Jesus. And we would rightly conclude that on the cross, he experienced what would seem to us a moment in time, yet it was for him, the very Son of God, it was isolation that was an eternity. And the excruciating difference was that he alone did not deserve separation. He, contrary to the rest of us all, was innocent and good. His thoughts, his words, his actions. From the inside out, nothing but good. And yet he was crying out, trusting his God even then as he cried out, My God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cast aside, outside, away from all that was good, away from God, who alone is good, into forever punishment, forever weeping, forever darkness, forever suffering, and forever longing for relief, and yet not comforted. And after the sky turned black, Jesus said, it is finished, and he died. His intangible in-between place had died. His tangible body died. He was buried. His lifeless body was buried in a stone tomb. The opening was slammed shut by a great stone, and that was that. It was finished. He was finished, or so they all thought. He was cast away on our behalf in order to bring us to the other side, to the other side of everything. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Gospel of John. At the edge. I think the ever after is just here, so incredibly close, like the distance of the pen's lift as it moves from word to word. Heaven's attraction, when first imagined, is peerless, priceless, worth our every thought. At the Edge of the World, Lord Dunsany. And this was a title that caught my attention. Titles do catch my attention, like the title to Shel Silverstein's popular collection of poems, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and the intriguing title to Neil Gaiman's novel, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. These three titles are boundary titles. They raise our curiosity. 
What is that ocean at the end of the lane? That world past where the sidewalk stops? That edge of a world that we have always been told was round? What lies beyond? These titles bring out the adventurer in us, or at least that's their intent. The other side of everything is meant to do the same. At least it does for me. What then is the other everything? What does it mean? Is the other everything the place of fantasy that we all dream to go? Is it an imaginary place like Pooh's Corner and the Hundred Acre Wood, where our childhood memories stay safe in a dream world like Never Never Land, where we never grow up, and a crazy mixed up wonderland where nothing is the same as what we once knew as normal? Is this the other everything after all? The answer is yes and no. Yes, it is a place beyond our best of dreams. And yet it is not a place of make-believe. We can't touch it or taste it or smell it or hear it or see it. And yet it is as real as the ground we stand on. If we understand what we mean by everything and the in-between, then let us consider in our next episode the other everything. Here's a piece I wrote entitled Jaybirds. I think many presume that the religiously minded are newly clothed emperors strutting like jaybirds naked as the day is long. Long day. Sometimes it feels that way. I should know. I have banked all my investment in one certificate of deposit. All of it. Nothing else will yield such a return. The divine economy of scale is without comparison. There are really no quarterly reports. Our entire investment, which is non-diversifiable, is reckoned once, well before our lifetime and distributed yet once again at some unforeseeable time in the yet-to-be-disclosed future, in all likelihood far in advance of our life expectancy. I have staked my life on this, and its terms and conditions would not allow otherwise. But what about the possibility of our perceived nakedness? The truth is, we are clothed with invisible clothes, and that is, in fact, a good thing to be naked and unashamed. Welcome to the nude of heart. That is what it is to be clothed in Christ. To be drenched, dipped, dripped, and dried in Him is to be stripped bare of our disguise. To be naked in Him is to be utterly disencumbered. And when we look around, things can never seem the same. We learn from the inside out to see things as they are, not simply as they appear. To be clothed in Christ is to be dressed in royalty with a mind to forever. No one is what he or she appears to be. That makes the fable of the emperor's new clothes so riveting, while thinking something so doesn't make it so. The converse is also true that thinking something isn't so doesn't make it not so. What remains in all of this is God. And what matters then is how and whom he sees. For only he can see things as they really are, not how we want, declare, demand, hope, 
as in wishful thinking they are. Truth is centered in the real. The real is not our rationality, practicality, mysticality, not accurately and certainly not fundamentally. He is our eyes. Of course, left to our own way of learned looking, or is it innate? Why should we believe him? He asks us to see the invisible. So we walk by faith and not by sight. Our vision is not I-referential, but God-referential. So the big, huge, all-important question is how to ensure that our point of view is really his. And please, saying it so, don't make it so. Thank you for listening to episode 27. Our next episode is The Other Everything. For many weeks to come, we will be doing the sonic version of a book that I recently published entitled The Other Everything. If you want to know more or want to be in contact with us, you could visit us at our website entitled theothereverything.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have contributions, poems, songs, ideas, please send them our way.